Yeah, so what could we experiment with? Like, maybe we can just get a bunch of people internationally to click, you know, download the podcast, and then that would create buzz. Like, we'd get raised up in the ranks, and then more people in North America would, would listen right. to it. So that was our theory. And so we got 100,000 clicks in September. Really interesting, 2% went to iOS devices, 1% went to web, 97% went to Android devices, which is, which oh. is fascinating to me. And then of that, September and October, we ended up with about 7,000 listens. Hello, you're listening to Podcast Growth Hacks, where I talk to podcasters of all experience levels to unpack the most powerful growth tactics they used to grow their podcast. I'm Pat Chung. And if you're a podcaster, well then subscribe so that together we can all learn and experiment with how to grow our own podcasts. Today we're chatting with Asad Butt, the executive producer of King of the World, which is a seven episode narrative podcast with two bonus episodes. He's also the host of American Muslim Project that started on January 2021 with over 45 episodes. Assad has a background in broadcast journalism, ran a couple of startup incubators. He's currently an adjunct professor at Boston University and is now building his own media company, Refelion. Assad is a personal friend here in my hometown of Portland, Oregon. We share a love of podcasts, entrepreneurship, and dogs. Welcome to the show, Assad. How are you doing today? Pat, this is amazing. Great to see you. And I love your setup uh, you got back there. So yeah, uh, doing great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming to the show. And I can't wait to dive into it. I think we had some pre-conversations of what you're going to be talking about. So it's going to be a jam-packed episode. Yeah, I'm but, excited too. But before we dive into all that, let's start with some backstory about you and your podcast. So I know you have a couple things going on in terms of podcasting. Yeah, why don't you start there? Yeah, yeah. So I launched Refelion about a year and a half ago, and our goal has been to elevate diverse voices. And for me, my background was, uh, you know, I started my career in broadcast journalism and video production, but it had been a while since I'd actually edited anything or recorded anything. Mm -hmm. And so I launched my first podcast, as you mentioned, American Muslim Project, um, with the kind of sole express purpose of like just relearning you know, the tools. I downloaded Descript, started using that, recording on, you know, whether it was Zoom or Buzzsprout or whatever, and kind of that entire process. And so, you know, American Muslim Project is a weekly podcast. And my goal is also to connect to the American Muslim community, which is kind of who we're serving as a company. And so that was, you know, that was going along great. And then- um, And just to decided, give some context, you, yeah. why did you choose that a topic? Oh, you know, <laughs> that's a great question. I mean, I think, um, you know, as an American Muslim, you know, I, I've realized over the years just, yeah, that we have been stereotyped and misrepresented in, in mass media. And we just haven't had um, very many people sharing our stories. Um, and, and if people are sharing our stories, they're usually doing it with us not involved. And so I really felt it was important for us to elevate our voices and and for, for us to showcase all the amazing things that American Muslims are doing, whether it's in politics or business or uh, media or entertainment, you name it. And um, it, it's pretty remarkable to see, you know, what American Muslims have accomplished. Uh, and, you know, we've been here for 400 years plus but you wouldn't have known that oh, you know, yeah. based on, on, on what you, what you're kind of told in mass media. Yeah. Even that little fact is, um, 
Yeah, that's in, in, in lightning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some of the, you know, some of the 25% of uh, the slaves that came over were Muslim, you know, oh, and so we've been here right. since the founding of, of the country, right. you know, in various forms. That's right. That's super cool. So you decided to uh, dive into this topic. You started with uh, American Muslim Project. And then sounds like you branched out into another podcast too. How did that happen? Yeah. And so I'd always wanted to do this kind of retrospective about American Muslim life after 9-11. So the 20th anniversary was coming up in September, obviously, of 2021. And so, you know, last year we we said, let's do a seven-part series. We, we, we were thinking five to seven, but you know, it ended up being seven, seven part series on American Muslim life after 9-11 with really showcasing the ups and downs of what it was like for us to be, you know, Muslims in America and dealing with things like stereotypes, Islamophobia, the Trump ban. And then all the while, like we've had as, as we showcase on American Muslim project, these notable American Muslims that are doing really cool things in society and culture. And so it was really, this was we were presenting it as our flagship podcast. We put in, it was bootstrapped, but we put in, you know, a bunch of time and effort uh, to get the seven part series made. And it was really our way of, of showing what Rafaelion could do as a podcasting company and, and produce high quality content on a low budget that was elevating diverse voices. Right. So let's go back a little bit. So mm -hmm. when you started American Muslim Project, it sounds like it was kind of just like a personal life experiment, right? Kind of getting back into totally. broadcasting. And it sounded like maybe that was it kind of a low cost type of. hundred percent, you know, it, yeah, exactly. You know, get, get a microphone and use the computer that I had, you know, pay for a couple of subscriptions, you know, probably a couple hundred bucks max, you know, all, all in. I, I did hire someone, a friend of mine who is just an excellent writer and researcher to kind of help me research uh, the guests that were going to come on and, and so that was, you know, probably kind of a couple hundred bucks a week. Um, it's probably oh, wow. something I, I could have done myself, but I was working at the time and I just, I felt like I, I really wanted to understand the background of the guests and, and be informed when having these discussions. Mm -hmm. um, and then a, a lot of times, if, especially if there were authors, you know, I would read the book and make sure that mm -hmm. I was knowledgeable about what was going on. So, but yeah, definitely in terms of costs, low cost, but definitely, you know, high, high in terms of time spent on, on the podcast, at least early on. Right. So like a decent amount of investment, even for American Limousin Project, the first podcast. But at some point, it sounded like you wanted to kick off something a little bit more complex, King of the World. I listened to it. It's a great podcast, by Thank the way. Thank you. I appreciate uh, it. Everyone should listen to it. Very well done. It, it's got that very high quality narrative feel. You could tell it's high production value. Thank you. And which also means it costs a lot. Like at one point, did you think, you know what, I want to take this to the next level. And how much did it cost? Like, did yeah. you, how did you fund that? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I think it's part of it is like, you don't know what you don't know. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and like, we knew that we wanted to do something. So, you know, our North Star was the 1619 Project. And, you know, that was in terms of quality and, and whatnot, that's what we wanted to produce. And is that, sorry, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, that's another podcast. That's a podcast. podcast done by the New York Times and it's won a bunch of awards. It kind of Got is it. the retelling mm -hmm. of the American story through the eyes that, you know, centering, centering um, slavery, won a bunch of awards, five-part series, really just amazingly very well done. And so I knew that just having some production experience that this was going to cost something. I actually, um, with Eric and my wife that you know as well, uh, we had the discussion of how we're going to fund this. And and basically I, I had a, 
um, an investment property uh, in Boston, we decided to sell it and and use the proceeds to fund Rafaleon in this project for the first year. And and so we'd set aside a certain amount of money for the company, and that was about you know about 100, 125k. But of wow. that, mm-hmm. we were going to spend about I was going to spend about 75k to make this this podcast happen, the King of the World podcast. And you, wow. you know, remember we essentially kicked off production on the podcast February 1st, 2021. And we had a hard deadline. We had the 20th anniversary mm, of September 11th, nice. you know, 2021. So in some ways that was great, but also it was like, you know, how are we, you know, six months to get this kind of podcast off the ground, you know, is going to be a real big challenge, especially because, you know, we didn't really know what we were, what we were doing, <laughs> right? We were building the plane while we were flying. And so, um, that's pretty amazing that, yeah, you like pre-committed this uh, amount of money such a, it's i mean big budget too because you know if we talk to a lot of in, other independent podcasters and you know try to build a narrative podcast for five to ten thousand yeah you know i think i think we knew i knew that it was going to cost a fair amount i didn't know exactly where those expenses you know i model out that that's my background is also just kind of like budgeting and stuff so i, I had some, some kind of mm-hmm. thoughts about where that money was going to go and, and frankly as we were going through it was like i was pretty close to what we had budgeted wow okay um which was and i can share that with you or the listeners at some point as well um yeah you know i i, I wanted to do it right and <laughs> or what i thought was right um mm-hmm. and yeah really proud of the young i mean i, I will say that I think there's a couple things. One, you know, I didn't pay myself. Our main editor, who was a friend of mine, who was also kind of, you know, helping me build Rafaleon, didn't didn't get paid. You know, I bought him su- some sushi dinners when he was late night editing and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, and then, you know, most of the people that worked on the project, I think we probably paid them half or three quarters of what they're actually worth. You know, like a lot of people helped out on this project because they knew it was a passion project for Rafaleon. So, you know, I think if, if this was done in the real world, like at a Wondery or at a Gimlet, you're probably talking about a budget of, you know, 150 to 200 and, you know, 18 months to do the podcast. And right. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, so much of it is luck and just, you know, people wanting to help, help out on something they believe in. Right. Speaking of, I was always curious, like, because uh, you're actually not the, the main protagonist or character. Totally. In, uh, there's another guy. Does he have like some ownership stake in the? Yeah, not formally, but uh, informally, like <laughs> I, I call him the creative director, producer for, for Felion, and he's helping us, you know, figuring out where the company's headed in terms of King of the World. And, you know, it's his story. You know, he mm-hmm. is, for those that haven't heard it, it's basically his story of living in America. He turned 18 after 9-11, right after 9-11 and spent the you know, next 20 years trying to figure out his identity in this, in this kind of new world. And so it's, it's his, his personal story. And, and so, you know, he was a, you know, host producer, executive producer on the podcast. So I paid him, you know, an hourly rate for his work, which again, oh, he probably was underpaid in what, what he did, but he also just, <laughs> right believed in this This is also a way for him to get some publicity and and uh, notoriety which he did you know which we have received I there's think that, definitely some ancillary benefits for being the face of that podcast 100%. story yeah so totally um, you know and yeah he's an actor as well and a voiceover actor so this is also great for him to to show on his reel or on his resume and stuff like that and and i think we're hoping to convert this into a movie or a tv show and he'll up he will be central into whatever we decide to do right in, in that realm so yeah totally yeah that makes sense just to get your name attached to i think we're both kind of film buffs too and 
Just when in the world of independent film, just getting your name attached sometimes has a lot of benefits associated totally. with it. So let's talk about Refillion a little bit. Um, yeah. You mentioned the name a couple of times. Is that the umbrella company for all the podcasting? Efforts? Yeah. So that's the, yeah, that, that's the parent company and, and Refillion itself is elevating diverse voices. We're starting with stories from the American Muslim community. We're starting with podcasts and our goal is to expand into other communities like South Asian American or Arab American, and then expand into other formats, uh, you know, film, TV, documentaries, books. Um, but we're starting with the Muslim community. We're starting with, with podcasts. Totally. Then normally I ask the people I interview, is this a hobby or a business? But this is so obviously not just a hobby for you. This is a business. And, um, so how do you think about monetization? Is that something you already actively do or? Or yeah, do you think about it as more of a future type thing? I think you've caught me right at that point where it is the future and I'm thinking about it a lot more. Mm -hmm. I think the last year, especially with King of, so King of the World was released in September, you know, and, and, you know, it had a great, you know, great run. We didn't get a lot of listeners. I was really hoping that it would blow up and, and that advertisers would come and listenership would come, but that just wasn't the case. Instead, we won a bunch of awards and, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit, but. I've just started to think through after learning more about the industry as well, you know, like, yeah, trying to figure out how to monetize and where, where's the money in, in this podcasting and how are we going to differentiate ourselves from the studios or the bigger players that have a lot more money to spend on, on productions and name value. So yeah, definitely thinking about it a lot more. That makes sense. And would love to hear how the thoughts are going. Cause when I think about narrative podcasts like this, it seems like yeah, on the one hand, you could get sponsors and advertisers, but is that sort of the biggest tactic these days for the short narratives? Or is it, you know, like a licensing deal that you kind of see often, like with Netflix or any other of these big studios? Yeah, I, d I, I definitely think it's it's the latter. And, and I think it's, um, you know, well, the way that I'm viewing it right now is that it definitely has to be something that you can then translate into other formats mm -hmm. and potentially translate into other formats because they're just, until we get to a point where we are like a New York Times or WNYC studio where we can publicize this, you know, seven part series on XYZ, you know, we're just not going to get the audience to get the, the sponsorships and the advertisers. Right. And so for me, it is about what is a content that um, would be great five to seven part series, but they can then transfer into a documentary or into a movie or into a TV show and, and, and right. stuff like that for sure. Yeah, I love that uh, model. Like we, we, we've seen some success with it, with it recently, like with other podcasts, like being turned into a Netflix series. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you see a lot of the big podcast networks or studios buy or produce a series, you know, based on this premise. So I love it. So when you're doing something like this, let's say from an independent perspective on spec, is audience growth important? Like, is that like a maybe like a signal or a factor that yeah. uh, potential buyers look for? Or are they just like, no, the story is good. The production quality is good. We believe in your team and like, you know, don't worry about the audience size. We'll grow the audience. Is that how they think about <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, that's, a, you know, I actually don't know the answer fully, the, the answer to that question. I mean, f from my perspective, I think I'm, I'm starting with a story and, and it has to be a compelling story that can be told over the, that needs to be told over the course of five to seven you know, episodes, I think for me, the other caveat is, is, is it elevating diverse voices? You know, as we've been pitching various things to different people, I think that they are also looking at it as story first. And I think good content 
if you produce enough good content, mm-hmm. eventually something is going to find an audience, you know, whether that's, you know, critically acclaimed or, or with listeners, you know, a lot of listeners. And so, right. you know, I think it's a, it's, it's a numbers game and I see it as almost like angel investing where we're placing a lot of bets on a, a bunch of different mm-hmm. things, hoping one of them will take off and, and then, you know, ride that wave forward. Sure, sure. So I kind of journeyed uh, with you through this. I saw, you know, you guys kind of started from the beginning and even at the last episode. So, and I've also loved how uh, seeing your your marketing tactics around it. And we don't know what the answer is in terms of like, do studios actually care about your current <laughs> audience yeah, size? Right. But I love that you tried. So let's dive into some of these tactics that you use. Sure. Yeah. So what kind of things did you experiment yeah, with you know, to, I think to grow the, your audience? The first big thing that we did, and this was also kind of like setting up the company the right way, is we hired a, a local PR firm in Portland. Hmm. And my my thought process was that with that was like we had some I knew that we were going to have some compelling content with 9-11 coming up, the 20th anniversary. Like we needed to cut through that noise and see if we could get some articles written about us in, in publications. And and I thought that this would be compelling content for potential writers. But we started so, with them in... Oh, go ahead. For people who don't really understand what PR companies do, what did you need them to do? Yeah. So, you know, PR agencies can do all sorts of stuff. The big things that we had them do was the first thing was like helping us with messaging what Rafaelion was, what our values were, what our, as a company, what is it that we wanted to, mm-hmm. to put forward into the world? And the second thing was podcast specific with King of the World. How are we going to package that up so that they could pitch to pitch potential journalists to write stories about King of the World or Shah Jahan, our host, or me as the founder of Rafaelion. And so, you mm-hmm. know, their job was essentially, you know, they were spending, you know, 10, I was say 10 hours a week on, yeah, pitching hey, you know, Washington Post, you should do a story on King of the World because it's about 9-11, 9-11's coming up and mm-hmm. it's about Muslims for Muslims, like, you know, write a story about that. So we started engaging with this local firm called Rebellious PR, highly recommend. Mm-hmm. They're amazing here in Portland. Um, I think they also are based in, in LA. And we spent June and part of July just really kind of like focusing on the messaging of, of Rebellion and how we want to position King of the World as a flagship project of Rebellion. And then they started pitching people, um, you know, in, in July and August for a September 1st release of the first episode of King of the World. I think hmm. that was right, September 1st. Um, so were they uh, pitching the major magazines and newspapers? And- everybody. I mean, um, a lot of local places here in Portland, a lot of local places in Boston, because that's where Shah Jahan was from, but then all hmm. the national players. And... You know, we had weekly check-ins. They so cost-wise, you know, they they charged. I can't remember what it was, but you know, somewhere between two and three thousand dollars a month, which is mm. you know expensive for a podcast. And the end result was, you know, we got ended up being placed in places like Washington Post, Al Jazeera, oh, wow. a lot of local papers here and radio stations here in Portland and a bunch of places in Boston. And so, in terms of like, it's definitely exceeded my expectations. You know, like yeah. I think that. Especially thinking about afterwards, just how many stories came out about Muslims around mm. the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, if anybody's paying attention, like just every newspaper had a story about what it was like to be a local right. Muslim, you know, for 20. And so like we were trying to cut through that noise, but uh, really loved them. And how much did you eventually end up spending with them? Because I imagine yeah. a strategy like that kind of lasts for a couple months and then kind of totally. comes to an end after you get your end results. Like, 
how much did you end up spending and what uh, major publications did you get into? Yeah. So we ended up spending, I think, 15K over the course of five months. And we, mm, okay. we I think we ended our engagement with them at the end of either the end of December, end of November, and the series that ended end of October. So maybe a month more we, we had them and. They also helped us kind of apply to some awards as well. Um, oh, that's interesting. Which is, well, which is great. Yeah. Um, but so they yeah, got the, you Washington Post. Um, Washington Post, which is great. They got it, us Al Jazeera. Hmm. They got us religious religion news service. They got us a couple of local papers here in Portland, hmm. a couple of local papers in Boston. Yeah, just it, it was really great. I, I have a list somewhere. Like I, Sure. I mean, let's zero head. in on Washington Post a little bit because yeah. that's like the, yeah, you mentioned a couple of break bands and but I think you said it cost about two to $3,000. That's actually pretty good because I remember I had a startup before. It was a tech company and I remember we hired a PR company for about four months and I think it was $10,000 a month Wow, in, in the tech sector. It's just super expensive. So totally. it's interesting to see what PR costs are for different industries. So two or 3,000 seems great if you get the, if you get the results. So looking at just Washington Post, describe how that looked like. Was it just like a little blurb that they're like, yeah, you know, honestly, just one of several podcasts or was it like a, it was an, an article that was written <clears throat> basically pulled from, so we got onto the, what's called the religion news service, which mm -hmm. I guess a lot of newspapers subscribe to. And so then they pulled from that and wrote an article based on that. Mm -hmm. And so none of us ended up speaking directly to the Washington Post. We mm -hmm. had spoken to this per this reporter at the religious news service, and and then they pulled the material from there and then wrote their own stuff about the show. Got it. So it was that almost like a press release. They, they, was it a kind of based off of a press release? That they oh, that's, let me think about that. So yeah, certainly the first interaction with the reporter from religious news service was a press release issued by our PR company. Then mm -hmm. they called us, both Shahjan and I, to do interviews. And then they wrote the article and then Washington Post used that article. Then I think tweaked it to publish on their site. Yeah, that's super cool. And did you, were you kind of following like your sort of podcast metrics? Like does something <laughs> like that give you like a pretty big bump? <laughs> that's Out a great one. Like, uh, it's, as you can imagine, it's so hard to tell what, you know, whether that was, uh, the cause of a bump or something else, you know, like. It, mm -hmm. it it was, and especially the numbers that we were talking about, I think as a whole, certainly these placements that we've got help bump us up, but it's hard to tell whether that was, you know, sure, a what it's attributed yeah, to. Exactly. Right? So like, yeah. I remember I talked to a local person here in Portland, um, and she's like, I, you know, I love your podcast. I found out about it because there was a little blurb in Willamette mm. Week, which is our alternative, you know, weekly newspaper here in Portland. Yeah. You know, how would I ever, ever be able to measure that? You know, like that right. she read the article and then went home and downloaded the pot, you know, like you just can't measure right. that kind of stuff. Right. Right. I mean, at the end, I know you ran a bunch of experiments, totally. but I would love to hear at the end of the day, which ones would you have done again? Totally. Because like 15,000 is a lot to spend, especially for podcasters. So seeing if you were to kind of try to gauge the return on investment, which one was the best, but we could kind of ask that at the end. Okay. So yeah. one thing you mentioned that I think is super interesting to me that I know King of the World got nominated for a couple of awards. Yep. Can you describe that a little bit? And was yeah. it the PR company that their work led to the award nominations? Because how do you get, how do you even apply? Do you have to apply? <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. yeah, so many, uh, all of them that I know of are application-based and usually they, there is a cost associated with them. And I would say that they're probably a bunch of them that are just scams, like mm -hmm. that you have to really do your 
digging around and some of them, because po- you know, podcasting is so new, there's some of them that are popping up new every year. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so they applied to, I think, two places for us and they're kind of the bigger places. So like the Webby Awards and I can't remember what the other one was. And then the rest of the ones that we've applied to, we did it ourselves. And so some of them cost 150, some of them are 150 per category. Oh, that's not um, horrible. Yeah. And so like, you know, we, how much were the, the Webby Awards? Does that cost? Does yeah. That cost some money? I don't remember, but probably two, like 250, I'm guessing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Pretty, you know, they're on, I think on the expensive side, don't quote me on that. We should probably sure. look it up, but, um, that's and interesting. The, yeah. Cause that's a pretty notable award. Describe totally. that award and w- what was involved. Yeah. So, you know, Webby Award is the best of the internet. And so they have a podcasting category and they have a bunch of podcasting categories. We applied, I think, for the narrative nonfiction category and we mm-hmm. got shortlisted. So there's like two different levels. There's like the nominee, there's the winner, there's the nominees, and then there's the honorees. And we were mm-hmm. one of the honorees, which is oh, great. Nice. You know, like yeah. we were in there with like some pretty notable podcasts that have huge bus <laughs> budgets, you know, and, and, uh, Gimlet or NPR or or you name it. So to see Rafaleon Media, King of the World, amongst these kind of giants is was pretty mind blowing. Especially yeah. for Web, which which is like the most prestigious kind of like internet award that's out there. That's right. definitely well known. Yeah, that's um, huge. And did that uh, open some doors for y'all? Or? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I think <laughs> okay. I think more than anything, what these awards do just again help out with a little bit of publicity. Right. And then help, I think for me, more than anything, it's going to help when we um, approach potential collaborators or potential mm-hmm. funders, you know, yeah. like, look, we were Webby honored. We have won these, all these other awards and, mm-hmm. you know, this is what we're capable of doing and the industry is recognizing us now. Give us more money so we can do some, <laughs> some more. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The awards are all, almost act as social proof when you have like a bigger 100%. game plan, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. I think for some of them, like if we had won webby podcast of the year we would see a tremendous you know uh, right. push because that's like a big category but we were one of like you know 60 different categories within podcast itself one of you know 10 different categories and then we were on the you know of the three levels with i mean it's still pretty impressive given yeah. how many podcasts are out there but we still haven't figured out in this podcasting world how other than word of mouth how people are actually listening you know finding their podcasts right, right? and right, so like right. is it that you know, is it that they click on it, click on a website link, and then they they start listening? I, I just don't see that happening. You know, right? It's uh, yeah. You, it seems like uh, I'm learning. It's like an amalgamation of a lot of things you're doing. Totally. So I love that you tried a lot of things. So what's what's another thing that you tried? Yeah, I, the the second thing that we tried was we um, hired uh, a marketing firm that specializes in targeting Muslims. Um, huh. And so, you know, as you know, the, the king of the world was about American Muslim life post 9-11 and kind of, and so we knew that this, one of our main audiences would be Muslims, you know, like especially American Muslims, but also maybe international English speaking Muslims that wanted to kind mm. of understand what this, this experience was like. So we hired this uh, firm out of uh, Canada that specialized in, in, in targeting on Facebook and Instagram and all the socials like wow. um, Muslims. And they charged 1500 bucks a month. And then the budget was whatever we wanted to provide. I think we, we told them like, we wanted to do a test and learn of like five or 5k a month. I think that's kind of what was our upper limit, especially in September oh, wow. and October, um, which is a lot of money, you know, like, and <laughs> what I, what they were amazing. Like huh, in that, in, they were amazing in that they targeted a bunch of people and got a mm-hmm. bunch of people to click on our website 
but then converting people from clicking on our website to downloading the podcast. Yeah. We just didn't see like, it was negligible in terms of the conversion, right? Like, so we would like, so just in September, we got a hundred thousand people to click on our links uh, on the ad link. Uh-huh. And, and oh, so one of the things that we really wanted to target was like, I really wanted to get a lot of people listening. And so one of the people at this company was like, well, if you really want to get a lot of people, it's a lot cheaper to target international people as opposed hmm. to Americans, as you know, like to get people right. to click in America, it's, you know, like a buck a link, but to get people in Pakistan or, you know, India who are Muslim that speak English, it's like pennies on the dollar to get oh, them. Oh, interesting. Click, I right? didn't know that. Yeah. So we experimented with like, maybe we can just get a bunch of people internationally to click, you know, download the podcast. And then that would create buzz. Like we'd get raised up in the ranks and then more people in North America would, would listen right. to it. So that was our theory. And so we got a hundred thousand clicks in September, really interesting. 2% went to iOS devices. 1% went to web. 97% went to Android devices, which is, which oh, is fascinating to me. That makes sense. Um, and for an and, international audience. Yeah. And so like we got a bunch of people. And so, and then of that September and October, we ended up with about 7,000 listens. And so, okay. you know, is that 7,000 per episode or, uh, no, total, total. total. Yeah. yeah. So you're and saying so, your learning is the conversion was pretty low from actual total. clicks to. Yeah. And, interesting. and, and, you know, that 7k, you know, Again, we couldn't figure, we couldn't tell whether that was coming from people that saw that those social postings on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, right. or listening to another ad or seeing the article in Washington Post is really hard for us to figure out where these listeners were coming from, you know? And I'm curious for that agency that you retained to do the paid ads on social. Yeah. What social were they using? Was it mainly Facebook? They, yeah, Grammar. Facebook, Instagram, I think mostly Facebook. And then towards the end, we moved to YouTube. And I did some banner ads on YouTube and stuff like that. And they were all banner type ads and they uh, kind of did the creative and all that. Yep. Too. They did everything. I, I, we sent them kind of like our, our trailer and like our assets and they, mm. they put together stuff as well. And that yeah. budget that you mentioned, I think you said you, you, uh, started at like $1,500 and maybe kind of started going up to maybe towards 5,000. Does that include the media spend too? Or? So, yeah. So 1500 was just their fee to okay. manage the campaign. And Got then it. we could do above that was, uh, whatever we wanted to spend on the actual social media uh, ads. And I told them that up to 5k a month for the first I couple see. months, That's just right. to okay. yeah experiment. So yeah, those first couple months, I think we probably spent about 10k worth of, of ads. Um, and were they pretty experienced? With actual podcasting because they knew the niche, but like, where did they link the ad to? Was it, did they link that's, it to the homepage? <laughs> that's what I, I think that was one thing that I'm so glad you had. Like, I don't know what the right answer to that. We did what I did was pod follow. Mm -hmm. Have you ever used podfollow.com yes. or whatever? Yeah. So yeah. I, I, we linked it. I think at first we linked it to podfollow. So what, for those that are listening, what podfollow does is that you can direct, you can create a link through podfollow that allows you, if you're if you clicked on that ad and it, it goes to the Podfollow link and you clicked on it using um, an Apple device, it'll take you to the podcast um, mm -hmm. app. If you click it on Android the device, it takes you to a, a Google Play Store. And if you click it on the web, it'll take you to Spotify or whatever you, you determine. Right. So mm -hmm. we did that for most of it. And then towards the end, when we knew that so many people were coming, um, uh, were coming with just Android devices, we went directly either to the web or to the Google Play Store. Got it. 
Interesting. And but that's to the Play Store, but that's not really to a specific episode. Or, oh no, um, yeah, sorry, not Google Google Podcast. Oh, the Google Podcast Podcast oh, player. We, we, I see. Yeah, player. Sorry, Google Podcast player, and we went to our show homepage. Oh, got it. Okay. And did yeah. that help increase? I mean, that, that seems like a great tactic of going straight to the episode. Totally. Yeah. I, th I think that that's the right thing to do. But I, again, I think it's, it's hard to determine. I think, well, that's one of the good things about pod follows. Like you can send them to where you, depending on what yeah. device they're, they're looking at it on. But I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I ask about the ad copy and all that because, uh, you know, the more I'm le learning about this, the more I'm kind of learning that, like, uh, people who are really well-versed with, like, social ad buys, I feel like there's a trend of linking directly, you know, having the creative match the actual episode and linking directly to the episode because a lot of podcasters are doing almost kind of like a... I don't know what, what it's called, but maybe advertising arbitrage you know, where, you know, they've guaranteed a certain amount of downloads per yes. episode to their, so, and, and they have to make good on it. So yep. if they're not making good uh, organically with those downloads, they have to just buy the rest of the downloads. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. To specific episodes. That makes sense. I mean, if I, if, <laughs> if I yeah. was in the same position, right? that, yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Totally. Yeah. If they guarantee a sponsor, like we're going to get a hundred thousand downloads and they only got 80, they're going to have to make up that 20 and, and the way they make it up is uh, they buy, they make very specific ad creative just for a very specific episode so that at least they'll just get people to download That's that great. episode, which is, I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and, totally interesting. And, and something that, yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> yeah. So I think you wanted to talk about something that maybe didn't work for you too well. <laughs> um, no, I mean, all that? of it might not have worked. <laughs> well, depending I mean, on, on, on how you just describe, you know, what, what is considered working or not. I mean, but 7,000 is pretty good. Just going back to the numbers, what were you getting per episode toward, kind of towards the end? And I imagine that kind of the series ended. Yeah. Do you just kind of stop tracking it after it ends? Yeah, no, I still get <clears throat> notifications every week about how many, you know, we're still getting a couple hundred, maybe 500 to a thousand listeners a month, which is great. Oh, I, I don't know really how people good. are fun. Yeah. There's yeah. some days where like, there's like a hundred people that have started the first episode and oh, yeah. like, how are you finding this and why are you looking at it now right and we were doing it's so movies. evergreen like it's such yeah, a good story totally. that yeah yeah that's the thing it does, you don't need to yeah and so that's why i think i'm going to do some more targeted ad buys later this year and i think if what i will do is advertise the podcast on other podcasts i think that is the best way to get it out there in terms of paid um and then um and and we did that with podcorn uh, i don't know if ever, anybody's ever used podcorn but you know they're basically a platform that connects you with you know other podcasts so you can advertise on 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 podcasts and, <clears throat> and so we use yeah. that I, I think we use that that was probably the best thing that we did oh we so you spent, did that do you do that uh, throughout the whole campaign or yeah yeah so we did it September October in I think into November as well and we did 15 different campaigns probably I think we did it on 12 or 13 different podcasts and again oh, cool. i was experimenting with all sorts of stuff i was going on crime podcasts i was going on like business <laughs> podcasts just kind of like trying to get it get it out there and uh we spent about uh 2500 bucks i want to say and we oh, ended okay. up getting about you know four hundred thousand impressions um oh wow which was great so you know the cpm is you know five dollars and 32 cents but again like i don't know how to measure whether or not you know people that listen you know, to an ad on a podcast, right? But to listen to the podcast because it's not like we're selling anything. Like, right? And we can provide you know the website is frelin.com slash five percent off this this that the other thing. But to me, like you know, 
podcast, other people who listen to other podcasts are the ones that are going to, to listen potentially to our right. podcast. And, you know, yeah, it's kind of tough to attribute like how you got to your growth because you're doing so many experiments at exactly. almost the exact same time, right? Totally. I mean, I love the podcorn one. Describe that a little bit in, in the time we have is. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, essentially you go on the platform and you post, hey, King of the World is releasing and we're looking to advertise on other podcasts and here's our budget. And this is the description of the podcast. And for us, it was great because King of the World, <laughs> we had everything from like, drug addiction to history to islamophobia <laughs> to right. attempted music. murder like it was music <laughs> right. yes right. you're just like here's the list of keywords if your podcast is trying to do anything so then what right. happens is you put this put this out there and then other podcasts apply and they apply and they say okay mm -hmm. i'll run for 50 bucks i'll run an ad on these three dates or right. For a hundred bucks you can be a guest on my podcast or for 70 bucks you'll be one of a panel of, of people. And so then people apply mm -hmm. and then you sift through. And so we would get any given week, we'd get like 10 different, you know, podcasts uh, to apply to us. And some people had, you know, like 20 listeners, uh, yeah. and some of them had 20,000 listeners. And so then the 20,000 people who are charging you like a thousand bucks. I think the, the, the biggest one we did, we spent 1500 bucks on like a couple ads on a crime podcast that had mm something like 10 or 15,000 listens an episode. And so not only did we get the ad host read ad on that podcast over the course of two or three episodes, but then she linked to it in the show notes and this, this podcaster as well, listened to our podcast mm -hmm. and was loved it. And so then was also just like enthusiastic in the, like telling her audience, yeah. I listened to this. I loved it. Like if you like, you know, true yeah. crime or whatever, not that we're true crime, but if you like this, sure. you know, like come and listen. And so that was really great too, you know. That is uh, cool. Like in these campaigns, are you allowed to say, yeah, I'm, I'm only going to, you know, buy one or f five of your episodes. How, how do you kind of do that? Yeah, totally. You can negotiate with them. And so uh -huh. usually, yeah, you, they would be like, hey, I have these two slots available, mm -hmm. you know, for 300 bucks an episode. And I'd be like, well, I don't really want to do it on the 14th, but I right. want to do, you know, the, the following week only. Or do you have anything else in the future as well? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you don't want to. How many slots did you generally do? I think you, you said you picked about 12 uh, podcasts we, to. Yeah, we did fi 15 total campaigns. I imagine that, I can't remember exactly, but my, my guess is that we did each campaign was like two, you know, on, a, on average two spots. And so, um, and two I think, mm -hmm. yeah, so like maybe we did, you know, each campaign was like two episodes uh, that we would sponsor on a podcast. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I love this tactic because I think a lot of podcasters I talk to, they think, they have to like uh, spend a lot per podcast, but then, it, it, you know, the well runs dry for that podcast, yeah. right? Like once someone hears about your podcast a couple of times or in that ad spot, you know, they're either going to listen or they're not going to, exactly. so you just chose to just kind of do a couple episodes and then kind of end it with them. Yeah, totally. And, and I, I think that the ones that I liked or, um, I thought did a good job in terms of their ad copy, I re-upped with them and, and, and did some more. Um, and then there were some also that just had like not a, a, a big audience that I just wanted to like support as well, which is probably not <laughs> right. the smartest, you know, fiduciary, you know, responsibility, but it was also just like, you know, I, I you know, either there were like Muslim podcasters or they right. were like, you know, something that I was like, oh, you know, the, if, if it worked, you know, a lot of these people that were listening right. to this podcast would probably download, right. you know, our, our podcast as well.
Right. Of all the experiments, if you were, I know it's hard to attribute the ROI, but which ones did you like the most? Like if you were to do this all again, what would you kind of? It's, so this is like for a narrative podcast, you know, as sure. opposed to a weekly or something else. But like, I think what I would do is really latch myself on with a social media handle that I would grow for like six to 12 months ahead of time mm. and then uh, try to build a following on that or like connect with someone that has a following and then um, do paid advertising on that account. <clears throat> and then mm. I would do my second thing would be advertising on other podcasts. By far, I think that's something that. Um, I both paid and trying to get free guest spots for my host right. on those other podcasts. I would double dine on, on those. Right. And did you get your host to do guest spots uh, yes. on other podcasts? And yeah. I, I, I forgot to mention that that's something also that the PR company, uh, did work on is that they would reach out to the podcast to see if we could get guest spots. Our host was re was really well connected with a lot of other podcasters. So he did yeah. a lot of that himself, which was great. He's, he's probably been on. Yeah, maybe half a dozen, no, a dozen different podcasts over the one podcast yeah. was being released. And, and I, I do think that those, you could definitely tell a bump when he was, I, he was on another podcast like that. That makes a lot of sense because yeah. it's almost like paying for those cross promos, except totally. it's free and you're on their podcast for 30 minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. totally. And and <laughs> he's he's so eloquent and he's got a great story. And so, you know, right. I think that, that that helps if if our host wasn't great or the subject matter wasn't awesome people wouldn't right click through <laughs> well hey thanks for your time we always end our episodes um with final five quick fire questions oh let's do it <laughs> oh my god yeah it's just a fun way just to kind of wrap up the show but i, I really appreciate all the knowledge and advice it's uh, super useful for me no, oh, awesome. Um, so hopefully useful for the listeners too. Yeah. So let's start off with the first one. Uh, do you collect listener emails or did you collect? Oh, no, I don't. But we just talked about that with our, so we just launched a new podcast called Inclusive Collective about diversity, oh. equity, inclusion in the business world. And we, we just talked about how we need to start collecting oh, yeah. <laughs> my email addresses. So no, yeah. but soon soon and do you do you talk about how you're going to collect them are you going to do like a lead magnet or something like that or newsletter i think to start a lot okay. you know sign up from the newsletter then i think uh, soon uh we'll, we're going to try to create white papers and that kind of stuff oh cool yeah totally makes sense number two what's the one podcast you recommend the most besides your own oh that's amazing so there's probably three or four that i listen to on a regular basis i but recommend like yeah. That you actually recommend it. Recommend, yeah, no, no, of course, yeah. I mean, the one that I, I that I love the most um, is uh, uh, the New Yorker Radio Hour, mm. um, and I, I just really like how it's well done. You know, usually episodes are fifteen or twenty minutes. It's you know topical stuff, whether it's in news, culture, politics, and you know, I, I, I think it's really well done. The host asks some really great questions as well. That's cool. I'll have to listen to that one. Number three, how much time do you spend on your podcast per week, <laughs> like producing it? Depends uh, on the week. Um, I, I would say probably an average of five to seven hours a week. Five to seven. And that was for King of the World or? Oh, for... when, when King of the World was, that was like, you know, 40 hours a week more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our weekly podcasts, yeah. you know, basically for every podcast that I either produce or host, it's it's somewhere in the five to seven because i'm i'm editing a lot of the stuff myself right and, yeah, that kind of stuff that's actually pretty quick that that's yeah. good um number four what's your favorite podcast tool oh um i think descript is changing the game 
um, uh, for yeah. those that don't, it's, you know, it's uh, um, audio, it's so much more than just an audio editing tool, but like, you know, if that was around 15, 20 years ago when I was first starting, I mean, forget about <laughs> it. You know, I'd still, you know, I just think it's, it's so powerful and it's growing so fast. The one big complaint I have about it is that they don't do diverse words very well oh, <laughs> in terms of transcription, oh, right. you know? And right. so that's, that's probably the one big, uh, which will only improve the more people use it. Yeah, they, they need to improve their transcription. And uh, fun fact that you're the first one who gave me my first Descript tutorial. Oh, person. really? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, totally. That's right. So that yeah. was super helpful. And I, you're right. I love it. Uh, whenever people ask me to describe what the tool is, it's even hard to put into words because, like, you know, what is it? it? It does so many things. It's like the, so many things. Yeah, Swiss Army knife of uh, yeah. for a podcaster. So last question. What's your primary call to action on your episodes? Oh, that is a great Just question. Wow. Um, I think the primary one is give us uh, uh, feedback, uh, email us at info at com for, you know, feedback on, on the various shows. And so, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I need to think about that a little bit <laughs> okay. more, a little bit. Yeah. But email, you like email. Yeah. Email is good. You know, I think we, you know, we ask people to rate and review and then some of the podcasts we've asked people to use pod inbox to to um to give some voice memos and stuff like that but the main one is is you know email us at, at refine.com yeah. cool well there you have it folks um definitely go check out king of the world it's on all the podcast players and after you do, email Assad at info at Rafelium.com and he'd just be happy to uh, hear from you. Totally. Thank you so much, Pat. Thanks, Assad. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Podcast Growth Hacks. If you like the show, please tell a fellow podcaster about it. This really does help keep our show going. And if you have a podcast growth question that you're kind of curious about, well, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave me an audio message by going to podinbox.com slash podcast. Once again, that's podinbox.com slash podcast. I'll include that link in my show notes. I personally respond to all questions I receive there. And once I get your question, I'll find the podcasting expert to answer it on an upcoming episode. We'll play your question and I'll even give you a shout out. Until the next episode, keep creating and keep growing your show.